Haggai 2. In the seventh month, on the twenty-first day of the month, the word of Yahweh came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people, and say, Who is left among you who saw the house, this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares Yahweh. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares Yahweh. <clears throat> Work, for I am with you, declares Yahweh, of hosts, according to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt. My spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. <clears throat> for thus says Yahweh of hosts, yet once more in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations, so that the treasures of all nations shall come in, and I will fill this house with glory, says Yahweh of hosts. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, declares Yahweh of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says Yahweh of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, declares Yahweh. So as we come here, let's see, it's been uh, a week since Thanksgiving, and um, I thought a Thanksgiving illustration might be appropriate, since you have that right there in your memories. Okay, so imagine you're invited over to a friend's house for Thanksgiving, and imagine this friend has promised you a smoked turkey for the main part of the meal. Oh man, you're looking forward to this, going to visit friends, family, but especially going to eat food. And as you go to the house, you get there, you smell the the kitchen smells wafting up to your nostrils and you begin to salivate, oh, thinking about that meal. And the prayer ends, and you get in line, and you hear a gasp from the host, and he says, oh... I forgot the turkey. <laughs> what? Thanksgiving Day with no turkey? Some people call it Turkey Day, don't they? And can you imagine uh, the disappointment? I certainly uh, can. What a letdown that would be. Um, but this illustration <clears throat> illustrates something. We don't really care about Thanksgiving. We did not come there to this person's house to give thanks on this day. We were in it for the food, really. And here in Haggai, as we come to chapter 2, we see here the people are coming uh, during the time of the Feast of Booths. It's the seventh day of this Feast of Booths, which pointed them to God's wonderful provision in the past, past, but also to his promise of a new creation in the future. Now they come to this celebration remembering <laughs> something. <clears throat> On this Feast of Booths, 400 years prior, the great Temple of Solomon had been dedicated. And as they come here at this great feast, anticipating something great, they look, and there it lies in ruins at their feet. And how disappointing they, they would, what disappointment they would feel at that, I, I can't imagine how discouraging that would be. They had just begun work on this temple a few weeks earlier. And already, they're despondent. 
and they need encouragement. But you see, it's like that Thanksgiving Day meal when we were uh, looking for the turkey, not for the giving of thanks. How can they rejoice at a time like this? There's no turkey. There's no temple. But see, you're there. We and you and I, we, we all look at things the wrong way, but they were looking at things the wrong way, weren't they? They were not looking up to a heavenly hope. They were gazing down at the ruins of a glorious past. And we too need this message of encouragement that they're brought by Haggai. As we go through this lesson, I'll have three main points. The first one will be, be strong in the Lord when your work seems pathetic. The second one will be take comfort in Christ's presence as he works for his glory. And the third one will be hope for Christ's return when we will dwell in the light of his glory forevermore. And I'll repeat those points for you as we go through. And the message basically is to be encouraged as we sojourn here on earth. Keep your chin up. Christ dwells with us. And so we come to our first point. Be strong in the Lord when your work seems pathetic. As we read, in the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of Yahweh came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people, and say, Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Yet, now, be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares Yahweh. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares Yahweh. Israel was back in the promised land, but they were not enthusiastic about their work of temple rebuilding. Things were dreary. They did not feel good about this. Not only had they been opposed in their work, but as they come into the land, they'd they'd look and they just don't have the resources to rebuild the temple the way that Solomon had built it. They could never build a temple as glorious as Solomon's was. And facing this task of rebuilding these ruins, they grew discouraged. So, after a few weeks of building, they needed this encouragement. They were pondering the futility of replicating the glory of Solomon's temple here. And their hearts failed them as they beheld the enormous task that lie before them. And Yahweh is bringing them encouragement. You see... They had a heart problem. They were setting their hopes on temporary things that would perish with this creation. We don't do that, do we? I don't think we do. So Haggai here is encouraging them by acknowledging something first. This second temple was not as glorious as that first temple. But he uses this to illustrate something important. He illustrates that this physical temple is not what the people are supposed to be looking toward. But rather, they're supposed to be looking at the fact that God would dwell in their midst. And Haggai exhorts them not only to look to God's presence with them now, but also to look to a greater glory to come. And we see this immediately here as Haggai speaks of both temples in a singular way. He says, Who among you is left who saw this house in its former glory. What is he highlighting here then, we can ask? Well, it's not about the structure, is it? 
He's highlighting the fact that the temple was really about God's dwelling with his people. And he follows up on this idea later when he points to that true temple that is to come. But before we continue, I'd like us to pause here and think about this as it relates to our own heart problem. We can empathize with the Israelite struggle. We struggle too, because we tend to look to physical indicators of success. We look at uh, the world and think we need to have success as defined by ourselves in this world. We want to conquer the world with our intellect, our dynamism. We long to see the salvation of thousands of souls because of our work. We would like to build a large and flourishing congregation. We'd love to have perfect children. And there are many, many other ways and other things that we seek validation and comfort in. We look at the other guy's work, we tend to, and compare it to our inglorious work. We look at the other parents' children and consider how disobedient our own children are compared to theirs. And instead of that large congregation, when we receive a small one, we become despondent and discouraged. And we think, surely our methods or our personality is to blame when our little children aren't all perfect angels. We grow anxious and wonder, what does this world think about parenting? Now, good children, uh, business success, arch congregations, those aren't the problems. Uh, The problem is that we're looking to them as a gauge of success. We place a high value on these things because they glorify us, our strength, our worthiness, our wisdom. They display our own glory. The Israelites despaired as they saw how pathetic their work was going to be compared to the work of Solomon, the great king. They didn't believe in the true glory of the temple, who was the Lord who would dwell in their midst. And we, like them, grow despondent when we look to those Calvins, those Spurgeons, those Billy Grahams, those wonderful mothers in our church, and we compare their work to our own work. But in doing this, we're missing the fact that God is the one to whom we should give glory for all the work that we do. And not only that, we should give glory to him for the work of Calvin, of Spurgeon, of Graham, of that wonderful mother in our church. His presence is our work, and his presence and his work is our comfort and our glory and our hope. So keep your chin up. Keep your eyes on Christ and be encouraged, for he dwells with us. And we see our point two. Take comfort in Christ's presence as he works for his glory. Take comfort in Christ's presence as he works for our glory. We'll look at three aspects to this. First of all, he has redeemed you for his glory. Looking back at the work of Christ should comfort and encourage us. And we see this. Here, as Haggai points Israel back to their redemption from Egypt. We come to verse 4. Work, for I am with you, declares Yahweh of hosts. According to the covenant I made with you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. Yahweh here is telling the people, be strong when, when you work. But he gives them this to encourage them. He brings their attention back to the covenant he made with them when he brought them out of 
uh, when made with them in the wilderness, the following is bringing them out of Egypt. The basis of their strength is his covenant care. And this is a very appropriate time, remember, to refer back to that redemption from Egypt. Remember, they're deli- he's delivering this message in the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month. This is the Feast of Booths. <clears throat> we talked about this in the introduction. This was a day when Israel looked back to their deliverance in Egypt and their, the care of God for them in the wilderness when he fed them, gave them water, caused their shoes not to wear out. <clears throat> and they looked back at this as they dwelt in temporary structures, Shelters made from sticks or branches or maybe tents. But temporary structures they dwelt in for a week to remind them of this wilderness wandering. But there's something else in their history that I mentioned at the beginning too that they would be remembering here. Here they were gazing upon the ruins of the glorious Temple of Solomon at the Feast of Booths where the temple had been dedicated some 400 years earlier. Israel looked with despair on the ruins of this temple. They were remembering a much better time. And they needed to be reminded of something. They needed to be reminded that the same Yahweh who redeemed them from Egypt and cared for them in the wilderness remained with them now. They needed encouragement, and we need encouragement too. This is why we need to hear Christ preached every week who redeemed us out of bondage from our sins. And for those of us who might be preachers someday, this is why we need to preach Christ every week. When we are tempted to despair that we have not accomplished as much as we could have in this life, we need to be reminded that God has redeemed us by the blood of Jesus. When we become depressed and we think about our lack of ability compared to other people, we need to be reminded that we've been redeemed from death and from darkness and from sin into life and into righteousness and into light by the work of Jesus Christ. We need to be reminded that he remains with us too. Even when we don't feel or see his presence, he remains with us by his spirit. And we see Haggai continuing to encourage the the people as he reminds them of the presence of the spirit of God. So this is our, our second aspect of taking comfort in Christ's presence is that he dwells with us by his Holy Spirit. Christ dwells with us by his Spirit. God was in Israel's midst, in the tabernacle in the wilderness, and he was in their midst, in Solomon's temple, and he reminds them now that he is still in their midst. Even though the temple's in ruins, even though it never returned in outward glory to what it once was, they could be encouraged because God still dwelt among his people. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. The Lord, In verse 4, Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. My spirit remains in your midst. In verse 5. Even though the temple was in ruins, and even though it would never return to the outward glory of what it once was, they could be encouraged because God still dwelt among his people. Israel needed to be reminded of God's spirit dwelling with them even when things look glum. And we need to be reminded that God's Spirit dwells with us, even when things look glum. We too need to be reminded that though we cannot see Him, we can behold His glory in the face of Jesus Christ as He's presented to us in the Gospel. Don't descend into gloom and doom. Keep your chin up, for Christ dwells with us. He has given us His Word and His Spirit to comfort us, 
to give us confidence, and we constantly need to be reminded of his steadfast love for us, and to look for to him for satisfaction and for comfort, not to our own pathetic works. And we also need to take heart in the fact that what we are the work that we are doing is actually his work. He saves us by his power, according to his will. And we see this in this statement um, as we look at the third aspect, that God will do the work to fill his house with glory. God will do the work to fill his house with glory. See, We, we see this in verse 6, for, starting in verse 6. For thus says Yahweh of hosts, Yet once more in a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in. And I will fill this house with glory, says Yahweh of hosts. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, declares Yahweh of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says Yahweh of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, declares Yahweh of hosts. This verse 6 is the only verse in Haggai that's quoted in the New Testament. We see that in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 26. So I'm just going to read that section. Starting in verse 25. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. And here's verse 26. At that time his voice shook the earth. But now he has promised... Yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of the things that are shaken. That is, things that have been made with hands. In order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken like Solomon's temple could be shaken. And let us offer to God an acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. Yahweh, here in Haggai, is speaking of a time when the whole earth will be shaken. He's speaking of the end of time. As the mountain shook at Sinai, as Yahweh destroyed Pharaoh's army in the Red Sea, so there will be a time of an even greater judgment, an even greater shaking. This will be the day when we will receive a kingdom that can never again be shaken. This is the ultimate day of salvation and judgment. Because of the use of the, uh, of the words, we translate them in a little while here. Um, in verse 6, yet once more in a little while. We also know some things about how this is going to be fulfilled. First of all, it seems as though there's a near fulfillment in sight. So Israel here is being promised something that does come to pass at least in part, in that Cyrus and Darius and Artaxerxes, these great kings, contributed to the rebuilding of the temple, returning some of the vessels that had been taken from the temple, supporting their work, giving them the funds necessary and the material necessary to rebuild the temple. So, in part, this comes to pass in that way. But these verses also look beyond this to a far fulfillment, when Yahweh says that he will be the one who will fill this house with glory. It's not these kings that will fill the house with glory, but Yahweh. Also, note, he promises a time when the latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former. And I will shake all nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in, in verse 7. 
and I will fill this house with glory, says Yahweh of hosts. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, declares Yahweh of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says Yahweh of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, declares Yahweh of hosts. And we might think, when was this second temple ever greater in glory than Solomon's temple? We see from different places it, la- it would lack the Ark of the Covenant. It would, it would lack the Shekinah glory. It would lack the Umin and the Thummim. It would be beautified by Herod, but would never eclipse the glory of Solomon's temple's beauty. And even with Herod's beautification, um, the, we need to think, is the glory of the physical temple the glory that the people were encouraged to look toward? <clears throat> and then we remember something. There's a baby born of the line of David, the seed of the woman. Jesus came in the flesh. The Son of God tabernacled among us, as John puts it. Jesus, the true temple of God, dwelt among us bodily. In his face, we see the glory of God, glory as of the only Son from the Father. In Jesus the Messiah, we see the fulfillment of this promise in verse 9, that the latter glory of the house, this house shall be greater than the former. Not only did he stand in the same temple they were rebuilding here in Haggai, and therefore fill it with God's glory in his physical presence, but he himself is the true temple, as he declares in John 2 and other places. He's the true temple that this temple points forward to. He tabernacled among us, dwelling among us physically in order to perform the work of redemption on our behalf. And as we come to him by faith, seeing him crucified, raised, exalted into glory, we long for our glorification. We long for that time when these tents of our mortal bodies will put on the immortal and be raised to eternal life in his presence. So keep your chin up as you sojourn here in your earthly tents and hope for Christ's return when we will dwell in the light of his glory forever. That's our third point. Hope for Christ's return when we will dwell in the light of his glory forever. Again, verse 9, The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says Yahweh of hosts. And in this place I will give peace declares Yahweh of hosts. We have his promise that gives us hope. The Feast of Booths, besides pointing back at the redemption in Egypt and the care of the Lord in the wilderness wanderings, also pointed the people forward to a new creation, a heavenly city. You see, think about this. They kept this Feast of Booths that reminded them of their wilderness wanderings, of the temporary nature of of their sojourn toward a promised land, they kept this feast even during the time of the great kings, David and Solomon. This was to remind them that even during this time, they were looking forward to a time when they would never again be shaken from their kingdom, when they would receive a kingdom that would never pass away, that they would remain before the face of God in this kingdom, him dwelling in their midst forevermore. Their eyes were not supposed to be directed down to the dirt, looking at the ruins of the temple. But their eyes were to be lifted up to a heavenly hope, 
as are ours. And we should note the people of Haggai's day had an encouragement to look to the heavenly city. As we see in Isaiah 4, verse 2, In that day the branch of Yahweh shall be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the land shall be the pride and honor of the survivors of Israel. And he who is left in Zion and remains in Jerusalem will be called holy, everyone who has been recorded for life in Jerusalem. When Yahweh shall have washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion and cleansed the bloodstains of Jerusalem from its midst by a spirit of judgment and by a spirit of burning, then Yahweh will recreate over the whole side of Mount Zion and over her assemblies a cloud by day and smoke and the shining of a flaming fire by night. For over all the glory there will be a canopy. There will be a booth for shade by day from the heat and for a refuge and a shelter from the storm and the rain. And as we sojourn here on earth, we too await this day when there will be no more curse, when we will live before the glorious face of God forever. We have seen the accomplishment of God's work in Jesus, the Messiah, that the people here in Haggai looked forward to in type and shadow. But we too still await the consummation of his work when he returns forever to dwell among his people in the new creation, in a perfect earth. Our hope is in the same city to come that Abraham looked for, even as he dwelt in tents in the promised land, as the writer of the, to the Hebrews wrote. By faith he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God, it's from Hebrews 11. And we hope for this unending peace in the light of his face. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says Yahweh of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace, declares Yahweh of hosts. Israel was being encouraged by this promise of future peace, and we are too. At the consummation of all things, we will finally find peace. We can keep our chins up as we sojourn here because we have hope for this peace that will come at the last day. Jesus Christ will return and will raise our mortal bodies into immortality. He will make all things new. He will erase every tear and all pain. <coughs> and we forevermore will behold the glory of God in his face as he dwells among us. And we see in this written by John in Revelation 21, verses 1 through 4, and then verses 22 through 27. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne, saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. Moving on to verse 22. And I saw no temple in the city. For its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. For 
The glory of God gives its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and honor of the nations. But nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Brothers and sisters, this is our hope, eternal peace in the presence of God. So, in a manner of speaking, don't let the lack of a turkey ruin your giving of thanks. Lift up your head. Set your eyes on Jesus. Don't look to your own version of success for happiness, because in the end that will fail you. Even though we don't see him now, Christ dwells among us. We see him at work in our brothers and sisters in the church. For example, we see him displayed before us in the Lord's Supper, but we do not see him yet. But he does dwell among us. And there will come a day when we will see him. And we will be as he is. And he comes again to dwell in our midst forevermore. So, when you are discouraged, look to Christ for encouragement. Keep your chin up. Christ dwells among us. Let's pray.